All right, good evening. Good to see you guys here this evening. Thank you guys for being here and weathering the rain that's out there. Uh, I know it was pouring when we came in, uh, so thank you guys for being here, driving in the rain, getting here, and and uh, coming to study the Bible with us. We've got a great chapter to look at tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, turn there with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And tonight we're going to have an uncommon sermon. I said this morning that the Hellfire and Brimstone sermon, it was, it was uncommon. You don't hear a whole lot of Hellfire and Brimstone sermons in the, in the country today. Uh, you go to most churches today, uh, go to most churches this morning, and I doubt you'd hear in very many churches a Hellfire and Brimstone sermon. So that's very rare today in our culture. Uh, so you just don't hear it much, you don't see it much, you don't, you, it's not common. But I'm preaching the sermon tonight that's even more uncommon than a Hellfire and Brimstone sermon. It's a sermon on how to enjoy the blessings of life or the, the uh, uh, riches of life. And I've heard a lot of sermons on money before. I know you guys probably have too. I grew up hearing sermons on money. I've preached sermons on money. Most of them is on how to spend your money, right, and how to, how to give money. How do you give to the church? So I've heard a lot of those, but I've rarely, if ever, heard a sermon on how to enjoy the blessings that God's given you. So this has been a good sermon for me. Uh, it's been a good study for me that I've learned that, that I believe this, that God wants us to enjoy him. I believe God wants us to enjoy the blessings that he gives us. I believe God wants us to enjoy life. So I want to teach you that tonight. I, and, and some of you are older, already uh, lived most of your life. And these sermons here are meant, as Solomon was teaching them, they're meant to be to young people. As he's at an older age and he's looking out at the end of his life, talking to young people, saying, here's how to enjoy the blessings of life. Here's how to enjoy the riches of life. You could even say, here's how to enjoy life. So I'm going to read this to you tonight. You don't have to stand. I'm just going to read a, a, about three verses in chapter 5. We're going to cover the, the end of chapter 5 and part of chapter 6. But I want to teach you that tonight. And I think it's a valuable lesson and it'll be good for all of us. Teaching us how to enjoy the riches of life. Let me read to you starting in verse 17. Starting so verse 18, I'm going to read through verse 20, and this is the heart of the section. This is the heart of the, of the chapter. This is the main point that he's trying to get. I think these verses here, there's three verses that teach us how to enjoy the riches of life. Starting in verse 18, he says, Behold, that which I have seen. I want to show you guys this. Here's what I found. I've searched the world over, and here's what I found. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink. And to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him with joy in his heart." Those verses will teach us tonight, and I think it's, again, very valuable for all of us. I want my kids to hear it. Gracie's out here. Isaiah's sitting back there. I want my kids to hear this. I want to teach them this as they grow up, that God's going to give you blessings. It may not be a whole lot. You may not be rich, but whatever God gives you, he's meant for you to enjoy that. So let's pray together, and we'll look at how to enjoy the riches of life. Father, I thank you for all your many blessings. And I've seen here in these verses here several times where it says God's given and God's given and God's given. And you are a very generous and kind God who's given us so, so much. Not even to mention the greatest gift that's ever been given in salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, you are a very giving God, a kind God, a gracious God, a blessing God. And we thank you for that. And I think we have a hard time sometimes in life learning how to enjoy all the blessings you've poured out on us. Sometimes we complain, we worry, we think we don't have enough. But God, teach us tonight how to enjoy the riches of life. I, I believe that you want us to enjoy you. I think that's the chief end of man, is to glorify you and to enjoy you. So God, teach us that. And teach us how to enjoy the, the blessings you give and the life that you've laid out for us. So teach us that tonight, God. I've learned, I've learned it this week from this passage. And I need help in, in teaching these things tonight. So help me. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man named John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men to ever live on the face of the planet. He lived in the, in the early 1900s, and they said that if, if you were to take the money he had then and to, to calculate it now, he would be worth at that time about $418 billion dollars. 
That's a rich man. I mean, he had anything and everything that you could ever imagine. And somebody come up to him one time and they asked John D. Rockefeller, they said, how much money uh, is enough? Will you ever be satisfied with what you have? $418 billion, how much is enough? Do you have enough yet? And here's his answer. When they said, how much money is enough? And his answer was, just a little bit more. He always wanted just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and his life would be better. Just a little bit more and everything would be all right. His answer was just a little bit more. And I, I think that we have that same mindset in our lives. We all think that way. We think that just a little bit more will make our life better. We think, and, and I can ask you that. Do you think that? Do you ever sit down and think, if I just had a little bit more money, if I had a little bit more things, then my life would be just a little bit better. There was a survey taken, and, and, the, and they asked them, what would it take for you to be satisfied? And the answer was, I'd be happy if I could just get to the next level of income. If I made 50000 if I could just get to 75000 And the people that made 75000 said, if I could just get to 100000 if I could just get a little bit more, I'd be happy. If I could just get a little bit more, there'd be less worries. If I could just get a little bit more, there'd be less stress. If I, if I had a little bit more, that it would fix my, my marriage and my relationships. If I had a little bit more, I could give my kids everything that, that they never had. If I just had a little bit more. That's why there's such a thing as a lottery. Everybody's looking for those magical six numbers that'll unlock happiness in life. If I could just get a little bit more. That's John Rockefeller, who at $418 billion said, I need a little bit more. That's us, who, who don't have near what he had. If I could just get a little bit more. And the problem with that is, and I think all of us do that, I have 15 sweatshirts at my house. I love sweatshirts. And Seth says, how many sweatshirts do you need? And my answer is, one more. Well, the, the problem with that is, is it's never enough. One more will lead to another. And a little bit more money will lead to a little bit more money. And it, and it, it just keeps on going. And, and you never get to the point where you're satisfied, where, where you say, everything's right. I've got enough. And Solomon wants to teach us today how to say, I'm satisfied with what I have. I don't need a little bit more. That's what he's teaching us. And Solomon is the master teacher here. I mean, if you have to be an expert on an, on an issue in order to teach it, Solomon has this down. He knew money more than anybody else knew money. I said John D. Rockefeller was the richest man on the face of the planet. Well, if you had to talk about rich men, Solomon's at the top and John D. Rockefeller's right below him. Solomon had more than anybody could ever imagine. He was the richest man, I'll say this, to ever walk on the face of the earth. He had it all. The people in his kingdom at his time were so rich that they wouldn't bend down to pick up a piece of silver. It was too hard for them. If there's a piece of gold on the ground, they'd pick that up. But if there's a piece of silver, they'd say, nah, I don't need that. That's like saying, I'll pick up a $10 bill, but a five, I don't, I ain't worried about that. I got enough of that. That's how rich they were. So he's an expert on riches. And I think this passage here is, is autobiographical. I, I think he, he knows that riches can be bad. He's seen it. He's lived it. He's done it. He, riches has, has been a curse to him. But he also knows at the end of his life that riches can be good. He needs to figure out, and he has, how to enjoy what God's given him and not try to be satisfied by riches. So that's what he's going to do. He's figured it out. He's reached the end of his life. And now here he is teaching us, giving us wisdom on, on riches. And I think this is extremely practical. I think we need this every single day. We can, we can apply this to not when we go home. So I want to show you how to enjoy the riches of life. It's something I think every one of us need to learn. So I've only have two points for you tonight. I think we should get done with this pretty, pretty easy, pretty quick. I want to show you, first of all, the emptiness of riches, and then I want to show you the enjoyment of riches. Two easy points. So let's look at this. First, the emptiness of riches. Here's the, if, there, if there's do's and don'ts of riches, he starts out with the don'ts. Here's what you do not do with the blessings and the riches that God gives you. Here's the don'ts. And I'm going to give you four don'ts underneath the emptiness of riches. If you do this with your riches, it will end in emptiness. If you do this with what God gives you, it will end in an empty life. 
Solomon's seen this. He's done this. He's warning us. Don't do what I have done with my riches. So let's look at it. The first one he says, under the emptiness of riches, starts in verse 8. And he says riches can be used to harm people. He says in verse 8, If thou seest the oppression of the poor, you see that? The poor. And the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province. Marvel not at the matter. Don't be surprised when you see oppression. Don't be surprised when you see somebody with a lot oppressing somebody with a little. You, you, you get that? And I think we see that all over society today. That there's a lot of people who have a lot who are oppressing those who don't have a lot at all. And that's what he's saying here. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be shocked by, ha- by what riches can turn people into. Have you ever known somebody who was, didn't have a whole lot growing up? And they were normal people. Good people. Loving, kind people. Helpful people. Give you the shirt off their back kind of people. And then they come into some money and they turn into the meanest, ugliest people you could ever live around. That's what he's saying here. Riches has a way of turning good people into bad people. Don't let riches do that to you. Don't let riches turn you into an oppressor where you're going you're gonna to hurt people instead of helping people. You hear that all the time too. If I had more money, I would help people. If you want to help people with what you have, you won't help people with what you get. So these people, they, they, they get a little money and they start hurting people. It changed them. They don't use it to help. They use it to hurt. And this is at every level of our culture where it, it's the greatest division of our time is the haves and the have-nots. Those who have a lot versus those who don't have a lot. Those who are on top abuse those who are, who are below. They take from them. They take advantage of them. It seems like the rich always has their hand in the pocket of the poor. It's everywhere. You look on the, on the stage of the debate between, and I'm going back to the debate for the president, democratic debate, and they had like 12 men out there on the stage. Millionaire, 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 billionaire, millionaire, millionaire, millionaire. All of them with all kinds of money. Poor people have no representatives in D.C. at all. So you have a bunch of rich people in Washington, D.C. with their hands in a bunch of pockets of poor people around the country. They're oppressing the poor. They're taking from the poor. They're taking advantage of the poor. And and they tax the poor. I mean, I, I, I looked it up this week. I pay state tax, federal tax, sales tax, car tax, home tax. I even pay a, a dog tax to have a dog at my house. I'm not even kidding. They make you pay a dog tax now. Next thing, there'll be a breathing tax. And it's all just taking the, the, the rich, taking the, from the poor over and over and over the oppression of the poor. Rich, they get rich off poor people. In the pockets of poor people. It's not just... It's not that they're helping or protecting or watching out for. They're abusing the poor. And it's not just the government. It's all over society. We all know rich people who make their money off poor people. We all know corporations who take, take from the poor, who abuse the poor. So he says here, don't be surprised by that. Be careful what you wish for. If you want a lot of money, just a little bit more, it might turn you into somebody that you never wanted to be. Be careful asking for just a little bit more. So there's the first one. It might, riches might turn out to harm people. Number two, riches can be a headache. <laughs> look, look what it says, moving on. Verse 9 says, more of the profit of the earth for all. The king himself is served by the field. It's saying the king himself is taking from the poor. He's sitting in a palace with all kinds of things. And Solomon knew that. He's sitting in a palace with everything while everybody outside the palace had nothing. Be careful. And then he says it might be a headache. Look at this. I I love this verse in verse 10. If I were you, I've done it. I've got stars beside of it. I'm I'm highlighting it. I I might even get this quoted and put on a, a coffee mug so I can see it every day. He that loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. And you can change that from silver to he that loves money will never be satisfied with money. He that loves riches will never be satisfied with riches. 
Happiness, just like with my kids' toys, it says right on the bottom of it, batteries not included. (laughs) When you get riches, get this, it doesn't come with happiness. Happiness not included. Write that down. I mean, edge that in your mind. Riches do not guarantee you happiness. That's what he says here. Take it from Solomon, from a guy who'd know riches never made him happy. You say, well, why? Because with more money came more problems. I cannot quote a rapper there. I won't. I will not say more money, more problems. (laughs) I think Solomon said that before Biggie said that. First time I've ever quoted a rapper in a sermon. <laughs> but what, yeah, Dad, <laughs> don't, don't do it, right, Dad? But watch what he says. Here's, here's the problems that come with riches. And you, and you need to know this. Here's what comes with it. He's like, if you want to get rich, if you want to win the lottery, here's what's going to come with it. Here's the headache that comes with a lot of money. Watch what he says. Again, he says, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied, nor he that loveth abundance with increase, because that's vanity. But in verse 11, he says, when goods increase... They are increased that come to eat them too. You say, what, what, is that, what does that mean? And what good is there to owners thereof? Saying the beholding of them with their eyes. He's saying the more, more money you have, the more mouths you're going to have to feed. Solomon, if you look up 1 Kings chapter 4, had 30,000 people that were eating at his table. The more money you have, the more people are going to come and try to mooch off you. That's a headache. The more people are going to try to take from you, the more taxes you're going to have to pay, the more, the more family members that you didn't even know you had is going to come around and say, hey, I need a little bit of that money you got. I mean, you watch basketball or NFL guys that get money and they get the big contract, and they've got a, 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 a bunch of people all around them that they have to pay. I mean, just, just giving money left and right. People, they don't even know. You're my first cousin on my mom's side that I never even knew. I want to pay you and, and pay you and buy you a house and buy you a car. The more money you have, the more people are going to come take from you. You have money, you might have to hire an accountant. Right? I don't, I don't have to hire an accountant. I ain't got enough money to hire an accountant. I can count my money. I got so little money, I can, I can keep counting of it myself. And if you have a lot of money... You're going to have to hire a lawyer to keep a watch on your accountant. And then you're going to have to hire a second lawyer to keep account of your first lawyer. Make sure he's doing the right job. And you're going to have to hire a gardener. You're going to have to hire you know, a cook. You're going to have to hire a masseuse. I mean, you've got all these people in your house. I mean, you've got a maid. You've got to hire all these people and you're paying all these salaries and you're doing all these things. The more money you have, the more problems you're going to have. You're going to have charities calling you. You're going to have to have preachers and churches calling you saying, you know what, we need new pews. More money means more moochers. More to worry about. And he says in verse 12, the sleep of a working man is sweet, whether eat a little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not let him sleep. He says it ain't going to make you happy. It's going to bring more problems. And with more problems comes more worries, not less worries. Do you understand that? He says a working man ain't got, ain't got anything to worry about. He works a day at a time. He works real hard. He gets his day's wages. He eats a meal when he goes home. He goes to bed. He gets up and does it all over again. And he sleeps good at night. But a rich man stays up all night wondering, what's going to happen to all my money? Have I paid everybody? Is, is, is there going to be a recession? Is, is what's going to happen? I've got this and I've got this and I've got this. And a rich man comes with more problems. You worry about all you have and about all you can. Poor man ain't going to worry about losing anything because he ain't got anything to lose. Rich man has a lot to lose, so he's got a lot to worry about, and that can be a headache. So riches can harm Riches can be a headache. Riches can be evil. I call that hoarding. (laughs) Look what he says. As we move down, he says in verse 13, there is a sore evil. This is the only one that he calls an evil. And 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 the word there is, this is something that makes me sick. And he says underneath the sun, this is something that that I've I've, I've never seen anything like this in all the world. I can't imagine this. This is outrageous. This This is crazy. You say, what is it? Namely, Riches hoarded for the owners thereof to their hurt. King James says kept. 
And what he's saying there is this makes me sick to see people that are getting rich off other people and they just keep getting money and they keep getting things and they're, they're, not, they're not using it to, to help anybody and they're not just getting enough to get by, but they're getting more and more and more and more and they're hoarding and they're gathering and they're keeping and it's over and over and over and they've got storage buildings with more than they can even handle. They're hoarding all their things. And he says, that's a great evil. He, he says that. Why? Because those riches can easily perish, he says in verse 14. By evil travail. He said, you can beget a son and there's nothing in his hand. You can lose it like that. You hoard and you hoard and you hoard and it can be lost in a second. Recession could hit, you could die, and you can't take it with you. So why on earth would you want to hoard it instead of enjoy it? I thought about that this week. And one of my collecting uh, things I collect besides sweatshirts, is coffee mugs. And I bet you I've got, we could go back there after church and if you want to count them, we can count them. There's probably 150 coffee mugs back there in my office. i got them lined on every shelf there is and they're from every place I go. I, I get a coffee mug. People in the church go on vacation, they bring me a coffee mug. I've got coffee mugs everywhere. I collect them. I mean, that's, that's what I do. I love coffee mugs. And I come in here every single morning to work and I, I get me some coffee going and I'm getting ready to drink it. And you know what cup I grab? I go out there out front and get me one of those that you throw away. I hoard a bunch of coffee mugs and drink out of one that's paper. Is that not a sore evil? Why do you have all those? Why do you hoard things instead of enjoying things? So I've decided Monday morning when I come in here, I'm getting my favorite coffee mug. I'm going to get that thing and I'm going to drink me a full cup of coffee out of it. No more hoarding for Josh. Josh is going to enjoy his coffee mugs. You know why? Because I can't take those coffee mugs with me when I leave. That's what it says. Watch this. It can all be taken away from me. You guys may collect other things. I've seen guys that collect cars. Jay Leno has a garage full of old cars. And, and he couldn't drive, if he drove one every single day, it would take him 10 years probably to drive every car. Hoarding them. Not enjoying them. Because you could lose it like that. Watch this. He says, those riches can perish. And he says, and, and then he begets a son and there's nothing in his hand to give him. You hoard all that stuff and you got to pass it down. You could lose it and, and no, nothing to give away. And then verse 15, he says, as he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. You don't take anything with you when you die. Uh, Steph ain't over there. Kids, don't you dare put those coffee mugs in, in, in my casket with me. I mean, you can't take it with you when you go. You might bury me in my favorite hooded sweatshirt, but don't put the coffee mugs in there. You can't take them with you. The Egyptians thought you could. So they built those big pyramids and they would bury their pharaohs inside there and they would put everything in the, inside those pyramids with them because they thought they could take it to the afterworld with them. And now we got archaeologists that are digging it up and we're digging up all their riches that didn't go with them. They went in without it. Naked you, you were born and, and you came and, and naked you'll go and, and nobody ever takes anything with them but whatever they're buried in. He says, so don't hoard it. Enjoy it while you have it instead of hoarding it up till the day you die and then leaving without it. Why do, is this not practical? I mean, it is for me. I'm going to start drinking out of coffee mugs again. And then I'm going to give you one more. Riches can cause harm. Riches can be a headache. Riches can lead to hoarding. And finally, riches can be a heartache. I want to show you, move, move with me over to, to chapter 6. Just, just for a second. Verse 2. This is a man to whom God, whom God hath given riches. I want you to see that. He's given him riches and wealth and honor so that he wants nothing for his soul. Of all that he desires. And yet God's not giving him the power to, to enjoy it. But a stranger eats it. That's after you've died. And you hand it off. And when I die, Steph's going to sell those coffee mugs for about 10 cents at a yard sale. And somebody that I don't even know, some stranger will be drinking out of my favorite coffee mug. That's what he's saying. Why well, hoard it? At the end of your life, where's it going to go? 
You had all these riches and all this wealth and all this honor, and God didn't give you the power to enjoy it. You didn't, you didn't enjoy it. And he, and he goes on and says, it's vanity. It's, it's like an evil disease. He says, you can even beget, in verse 3, a hundred children to live many years, so that the, the days of his years be, be many, and his soul shall be filled with, with all that is good. Go on down, he says, but for he cometh, in verse 4, and with vanity, and departs in darkness, and his name shall be covered, called darkness. Verse 5, moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor anything that is, this hath more rest than any other. Yea, though he live a thousand years, twice told, yet hath he not seen no good and has no place. You say, what does all that mean? This is the end of life when it's all said and done. And he had all the riches and all the wealth and all the honor and all the wants and had need of nothing at all. It said he could live 2,000 years and have a hundred children. He could have, like Spock, lived long and prospered. Martin Luther said this is a description of a man who lacks nothing for, for a good and happy life, and yet he never had it. And he ends his life in verse 17. Look how he describes his life. All his days he eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and wrath and sickness. He dies with an empty life. And he had everything that you could ever want. I think Solomon's describing himself before he finally come to his senses. That he had everything in that palace. And he oppressed people. And it was a headache, all the people he tried to feed. And he hoarded everything in the temple. And he got to the end of his life and it was nothing but heartache. He had it all. But it was empty. Because he never enjoyed it once. This is the emptiness of riches. This is the, the, the first main point I want you to get from this. Is you can be rich and still live an empty life. If riches are used foolishly, if riches are used without God in mind, then you'll live an empty life. Ask Howard Hughes, one of the richest men America's ever seen. And he died alone and a miserable lunatic. Ask rock stars. I watched a documentary just the other day on, the, on a rock band, one of the most famous rock bands, rock singers of all time, and you would have thought he had everything that anybody could ever want, and he died a miserable wretch. Watch celebrities. Most of them die a miserable wretch. They have everything. They have homes. I, I, I was driving through California one day, and, and the Uber driver was talking to me, and he said, look, look up there. That's the guy. That house belongs to the guy who directed 90210. He said, I've picked people up at that house and it's got 54 bedrooms and it's got, uh, you know, I don't know how many bathrooms he said. I mean, he, enough bathrooms that you could, you, you could not use the same bathroom every day for a year. He says, I mean, that, that, it's an amazing, it's up on the hills. And he said, it's just a, a, a magnificent mansion. And he said, it's just him living there. Just him. 54 rooms. 365 bathrooms. <laughs> Ask athletes who retire and end up miserable and broke. Ask lottery winners. I looked that up this week. I don't have time to get into this. But most lottery winners within a year have said they wish they'd never won the lottery. Henry Ford said this. The founder of Ford I was happier doing the job of a mechanic you can be rich and live an empty life and many do because they live it foolishly and without God in mind this is practical we all want these things but we have no idea that these things could lead to an empty life and most people would stop right here because you say, well, th this is just depressing. I don't want to be rich now. You know, I, this, is, this is bad. Uh, I'm going to make a vow of poverty that I'll give away every dime that I make. Nobody's going to say that. 
But you don't have to do that because Solomon has showed us in the early part of his life that riches can be bad, but now he's going to transition and say, if you, if you have riches like that, it, it'll be bad, it'll be foolish, it'll be an empty life. Trust me, I lived that way. I was the oppressor. I was the one with heartache. I was the one hoarding. I was the one that, that had all that and my life was empty. I know what it's like. But then I, I realized my wrong. And, and in the next part of this, he's going to say, I started doing it God's way. And now he's going to show us how riches can be good. And how you can enjoy it. So that's our second and, and last point. The enjoyment of riches. Riches with God. Riches, riches the right way. And these, these verses that I already read are the heart of this passage. I was telling Brandon earlier that there's a Hebrew poetry about this passage that builds. So it goes from the low point at verse 8 and it, and it builds all the way up to 18 through 20, which is the high point where it tells us how riches can be enjoyed. And then it starts in chapter 6 verse 1 and it begins to go down again. This is poetry. It's really hard for me to understand. But the heart of the passage is 18 through 20. And he says, here's the right way. Here's how you can enjoy it. So let me show you. And I gave you four ways it was bad. Let me show you four ways to enjoy. Four ways that it's empty. Four ways to enjoy. Watch this. Number one. This sounds so, so bad. But watch this. Enjoy the work more than the wealth. You don't hear that much. Enjoy the work more than the wealth. Look what he says. Three times in this passage. He says that in verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. The sleep of a working man is sweet. And then he says it in verse 18, behold that, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of his labor, his work. And then he says it again in verse 19 at the end, he says rejoice in his Labor. So there's something here about work. In verse 12 he says, the laboring man finds peace or rest. And he's able to sleep at night when the rich man is, is uh, up all night worrying. Verse 18 he says, the laboring man enjoys life. In verse 19 he says, the laboring man knows that work is a blessing and not a, not a curse. So godly people enjoy their work. Let me, let, me, let me explain this. Godly people know that they're not working for their own mouth. Verse 7 of chapter 6 touches on this. All the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled. If you go to work, and the only reason you go to work is to make money to feed your mouth and to get a little bit more, then you're going to be miserable. Can I say that again? If you go to work, and the only reason you go to work is for yourself to feed your mouth and to get a little bit more, then you're going to be a miserable person and your life will be empty. That's, that's, that's what Solomon's saying. Godly people don't go to work to get more. Godly people don't just work for money. You say, what do they work for? Godly people work for a purpose. They found their place in life. They know they can be productive. They're not lazy. Lazy people aren't productive. They have no purpose. And they bring nothing to society. They take from society instead of giving to society. You know what I'm talking about? Lazy people? They constantly have to have their hands out with somebody who is working, giving to them. But a working man knows that he has his place in society, his purpose in society, and is productive in society. When I get done with my work during the day, a working man says, I know that I've brought something good to the world in whatever it is. I've been productive today. That's why the laboring man can sleep because he knows he's done his work. And he's worked hard and he's brought something to the world. That I have a purpose here and I'm fulfilling it. You say, what does that look like? Let's go back to my coffee if you guys don't care. When I sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee from now on in a mug. What did it take? Because I'll sit there and Steph, Steph jumped on me today for doing it. I'm bad for taking a drink of coffee and doing 
You know, and it automatically brings a smile to my face for some reason. Just, and, and she's like, she'll just sit there and stare at me. You know, I just enjoy it. And I thought about that today as I was preparing the sermon that I'm sitting there and it brings enjoyment to me to drink that coffee. But what had to happen in order to get that coffee in my hand? And you could go down the line of, of what it took and, and, and where it, it was grown in the first place and who had to, who had to be the one who, who produced it and who had to be the one who, who packed it, who had to be the one who shipped it, and who had to be the one to, to put it in Food City up on the shelf in its canister. My wife had to go as a housewife and get it off the shelf and put it in the buggy and then bring it to my office and then it ended up, ended up in my mug so that I could do. That guy, wherever that coffee was grown, did his job, fulfilled his purpose, had his place, was productive, and he could go home and sleep at night knowing that he put a smile on a face on a guy in Big Stone Gap when he took a drink of coffee. He added joy to somebody's life. You with me? You say, well, that's just a coffee grower. (laughs) That could be every single one of us. In whatever job it is you do, whether it's, and I think about my wife, she is so productive, she knows her purpose is to be a housewife and to teach and to, and to train my kids and she sits there with them all day long and she's teaching them to read and teaching them to ride and, and teaching them uh, how, to, how to do two plus two and, and all the, the things that they're going to need as they go out into society and she's taking care of her husband and being my helpmate and she's bringing, she knows her purpose, she knows her place, she's being productive, she's being a healthy member of society and you find Find joy in your work, not in your wealth. Hmm. You could go down the line. What's a teacher bring to society? What does a preacher bring to society? I do my work during the day, not just to get food in my mouth and to get clothes on my back, but to be productive in helping you be better Christians. Every one of you can look at your job and you can say, what do I do? What's my place? What's my purpose? And how am I productive in society? Because that's where you'll find your joy. As you can go home at night saying, I made the world a better place. Whether you're a coffee grower who put a smile on my face or a teacher who helped a kid or a preacher who led somebody to the Lord or a street sweeper who made the streets a little bit cleaner or a snow plower who made the streets a little bit safer for somebody to get to work. Whatever it is you're doing, you're helping society in some way. A lazy man doesn't help society. An overworking man only works for himself, but somebody smack dab in the middle is working because he knows his place in society. You don't hear much of that. Let me, let me give you an example of this. And, and, and I've got a few minutes. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. He says this. The fool folds his hands together and eats his own flesh. That's a lazy man, a fool. Over and over and over, a lazy man in the Bible is called a fool. And, and you read in Proverbs, I think it's chapter 6. Look to the ant, O sluggard. A fool folds his hand. A lazy man sits with his arms. I'm sure Roger knows what this is like. you got somebody on the job, and if he's sitting back like this right here all the time, he ain't doing no work. His hands ain't doing nothing. You find an arms folded man, he's a lazy man. So if you're walking around, I'll make sure my arms ain't folded. That's what he says. The fool folds his hands. You see that? So that's a lazy man. Don't be a lazy man. Verse 6, better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. You say, what's that? So you've got a lazy man with no hands. You've got an overworking man who's got both hands in his work doing it all the time trying to feed his own mouth. That's not good either. So what you have is a man with one hand working and being productive and fulfilling his purpose in life. His place in life. He knows not to overwork. He's like that man in verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whether he eats a little or a lot, because he worked all day long, and he gets to go home and say, I've done my job today. So enjoy the work more than the wealth. You don't hear that much. Godly people don't work for their self. They work for the good of society and for the glory of God. And a retired person can say, I've fulfilled my purpose in society. And you can 
rest and know you've done your job. Number two, don't just enjoy the work for the, more than the wealth, but enjoy the experiences, and I love this one. Enjoy the experiences of life more than the extravagances of life. Look what he says in verse 18. Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of his labors. As the eating and the drinking is the experiences. He's saying don't really, and Solomon again has learned this. He's saying don't spend your money on possessions. Spend your money on experiences. Don't spend your money on more things. Spend your money on things that you're going to do with other people. The eating and the, and the drinking. The, the, the enjoyment of your labor. So experiences are more important than possessions. Solomon understood this. It wasn't about all he had. It was about who he did it with. And what he did. Get this. It's not the car that you drive that matters. It's where that car takes you. It's not the clothes that you wear. It's where you wear them. It's not the house that you live in. It's who's in it with you. It's not the Christmas gifts at Christmas. It's the memories that you make. We left Gatlinburg a few days ago. A few weeks ago, we had Emma's birthday and she said, Daddy, I want to go to, to swim. I said, I'll find you a hotel with a swimming pool and we'll go. So off we went. My little red-headed, 35-pound little girl. I said, I'll find you a swimming pool. And we went. And as we were leaving, we stayed there for one night. We'd done all that we could do. We went, we, they went sledding. They, we, we, everything they, we could do. We were driving down the road. And I said, Dad, what's that place right there? I said, I think it's an indoor sledding place. They said, we, we, we wonder what we could do there. I said, right there we went. And as we was coming home, I mean, we went swimming. We, we went to the sledding place. We did everything that we could do in a, in a day's time while we were in Gatlinburg. And as we were on our way home, one of the kids, don't know which one it was, probably one of the boys, said, Dad, we didn't get anything. You didn't buy us anything. And I said, I got you something money can't buy. I got you memories that you'll never forget. Because the experiences are worth more than the extravagances. And I, told, I tell my kids all the time, your daddy grew up a rich man. Said, no, you didn't. <laughs> I've got memories up here of what I did as a kid that is worth more to me than anything my parents could have ever bought me. And in that way, my kids are more rich than anybody else. Because we're going to enjoy the experiences more than we do the extravagances. That's what he's saying. Sit down and, and eat and drink and enjoy your life because those things, those memories, those experiences are worth more and will last a lot longer than any possession that you could ever buy. Kids don't want their dad's money. They want their dad. You can't lose experiences. You can't have experiences taken away from you. So enjoy the experiences more than the extravagances. And I'm, I'm almost done. I've got two more. Enjoy the giver more than the gift. Watch what he says here. And, I, and, and again, this is poetry, so I'm trying to bring all this together to, to teach these things. But he says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink. That's the experiences. And to enjoy all of his labor that he takes under the sun all the days of his life. Enjoy it. Enjoy the experiences of life. Which, who gives him? Verse 18, which God gives him, for that's his portion. Verse 19, every man also to whom God gives riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and he takes his portions and rejoices in his labors. This is the, the gift of God. Three times there in that passage, he says the same thing. What the foolish people miss, what the, the celebrities miss, and what the athletes miss, and what the, the Howard Hughes miss, and the, the Rockefellers miss, and, and all those out there who have all the money and, and, and they're miserable, what they miss is that everything that they have, whether it's a lot or a little, it's all been given to them by God. And when you understand that it's coming from God, and you can enjoy the, the, the giver more than the gift, you can truly enjoy what you've been given. You can be thankful for it. And when you know it's a gift, you can even share it. 
That's where generosity comes from. I know that that, that God gave it to me in in my open hands and now I can open-handedly give it to those who have less than I do. That God has given me so much. That's what an offering is. I never want to make people give in an offering. I want them to see how gracious God has been to them. How good He's been. How generous He's been. So that they can turn around and say, God's given given me these things and I need to turn around and give it back. That's when it comes from the heart. You can try to twist somebody's arm to give, you know. And I've seen people do that. No. You guys know from this pulpit, I've never twisted anybody's arm to give. I've never pre- I only preach giving sermons when it's the next verse. I don't want everyone to force it. I want you to see how generous God's been to you. And you turn around and be generous in return. And we have. When you realize it's from God, you can enjoy it, you can be thankful for it, you can share it, you can use it for His glory. You cannot be ashamed. Some Christians are so ashamed by the blessings God's given them. It's, it's, it's like it's, I, I want to hide it, you know. I don't want people to think that God's given me too much, that I'm enjoying it too much. I got a little bitty car about two weeks ago. My truck's just puttering around. Had to walk to work a few days. It just broke down on me. And Steph talked me into getting a little bitty car. And we got out there to the, the place. And the dealer came up to me with his phone. And he said, you, you, you want to... We're going to get a picture and we're going to post it on Facebook that you just bought this car. And Gracie was standing there beside me because she's probably going to steal that car from me about a year and a half. So she's standing beside of me and he gets his phone and he takes that picture of me. And in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, this is going to go on Facebook and everybody's going to think that that old preacher makes more money than he ought to make. And he's got, he's got a little bit of truck and he's got a van and he's got a car. He's turning into Joel Osteen, I bet. And that goes through my mind. I'm sitting there thinking, you know, that's what people are going to think. We, we, we got a preacher that's making too much money. We're going to have to pull him back a little bit. They're not thinking, oh, oh that's awesome that, that he can afford that, that he's saved and he's been wise with his money. And now he can get a, a little bitty car that gets 36 miles to the gallon. I even come down here and, and thought, I'm going to have to park right here at work and people's going to drive by and they're going to think, oh, that preacher got a new car. I thought, I'm, I'm going to park it in between the alley down there. I'm, in my mind, and this sermon helped me on this. In my mind, I'm thinking, I need to be ashamed that God has blessed me. I need to be ashamed of that. Somebody's going to say something to me about that. And then I've read this passage and, and I see, this is God's gift. Why should I ever be ashamed of God being good to me? So I'm in that car now, windows down, waving and honking. Preacher got a new car. God's been good to me. And I will, I will be thankful for that gift. I will enjoy that gift that God has given me. And I will use that gift for His glory in whatever way He wants me to use it. Amen. If I need to let somebody borrow it, hey, here you go. I'll even let you drive my little truck. <laughs> it might not get you very far, but here you go. little putter around. That's when you see I, I, I'm not ashamed of it. God's been good to me. And I want the world to know it. Enjoy that because it's a gift from God. God's given me a nice house. I'm enjoying it. Thankful for it. We need to be like that. That's when you can really enjoy the riches of life when you know they came from God and God's looking down on you saying, I gave that to you. Enjoy it. And He's given us a lot. Man, I'm going to drink me a cup of coffee to the glory of God. In a, bu- in a mug that I bought. God's been good to me. Every good thing you have has been given to you by God. Amen. Enjoy it. Don't be ashamed of it. Be thankful for it. Use it for Him. <laughs> and enjoy it. It's not wrong to have things. If God's given it to you, give Him glory and enjoy it. Last one. And I'll close. Enjoy the peace more than the prosperity. Look at verse 20. And this would be, again, if this is the the way the poetry works and you start really low at the oppression of the poor and you're building yourself up, you're going from the 
the, the hurt and, and the, the headache of, of riches and you're going in, into the, the hoarding of riches and the, the heartache of riches and you're, you're working your way there and you finally get to the top and it's verse 20 and it'll start working its way back down to the bad, which we've already covered. Verse 20 is the opposite of verse 17. At the end of your life, it says, For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him by giving him joy in his heart. If you do it this way, and I think this is Solomon's last word on riches, where he stands up and he says, you know what? I finally got there where I can say, I've got joy. God's given me peace in this. This isn't like Howard Hughes dying alone, crazy, but Solomon here in his old age, he finally understands. He's not sour. He's not miserable. He's got joy in his heart, it says there. He rests well at night now. He's learned how to enjoy his riches. He has the most sought-after commodity in all the earth. The one thing that everybody wants and not very many people have. You ready for this? You go to Los Angeles into the Beverly Hills, and me and Steph rode around Beverly Hills. We rode into the, you know, into the mountains. We saw the mansions. We got as close as we could without them running us off. We saw it all. You go into those mountains and you ask them, what do you want more than anything else in the world? And they'll tell you the same thing. You go into the mountains of, of Appalachia and, and our area where people are poor and, and, and they're struggling. They all want the same thing. And it's not a little bit more. The most sought-after commodity in all the earth Peace of mind is contentment, is being able to put your head down on your pillow at night and go to sleep. Everybody's looking for that. And Solomon says in verse 20, I've finally gotten there. I've learned how to enjoy not just the riches of life, but life. He couldn't do it in the first half of this passage. He had a headache, he had a heartache, he was hoarding everything and worried about losing everything. And he had all these poor people that he's in their pockets trying to take their things. He was miserable. He was sitting in his, in his house all by himself because he's, he's, he's went ahead and, and hurt everybody else and nobody likes him and he's miserable and he's going to die that way. But now, he says, I figured it out. I enjoy the work I do every day. I enjoy the experiences of life. I know who's given it to me. And now I've found contentment and peace. I'd rather have peace of mind than prosperity and riches any day of the week. Now watch this and I'll close. Let me add these things up. Let's do, let's do a math equation here. If you take work, enjoy your work, and you add it with enjoying your experiences and enjoying the giver instead of the gift and enjoying the, the peace that comes with that, you add those four things together and let me show you the, the conclusion of it. You don't have to be rich to enjoy life. I mean, can I show you that? Because these words are, are there for a reason. He says you have work, the experiences, God, and peace. None of those things take a dime. You, you with me? Work, enjoy your work. Enjoy the daily experiences of your life, whether it be with your wife or with your kids or with your family or at church. Enjoy it. Sundays are an experience to me. I don't know if you guys get that. It's not about washing it online. I'm thankful for the online ministry, but that's not an experience. You're at home by yourself sitting on your couch. But when you come here like we did this morning and like we are tonight, I can sit down and look around and I can enjoy every little bit of it. I'm enjoying what we do here. This is enjoyable. And then tomorrow you get up and you go to work and you have a purpose and you have a place and you're productive and you can enjoy that. And enjoy those experiences as your kids get older, as your kids go from, from a baby stage where I'm sitting there and I'll tell you what, it's enjoyable every day. And it don't, take, it don't cost me a dime. I mean, I would probably pay $20 for it, but it don't cost me anything. That when my baby wakes up and tomorrow's my day off and this is my favorite part of my day off. That I'm up already, and then Hallie gets up, and I get to go down there, and she, and I'll hold her, and she'll stretch. <laughs> those arms go out, and those legs go out, and she starts yawning, and I say, I'd pay a million dollars to experience that every day. That's worth more than anything. 
And then my boys play basketball. Go to Bristol on the weekend where we're allowed to play basketball. And I sit there and watch them play together in the layup line. And yeah, I'll pay $10 to get in, but I'd pay a million to watch them play. That's an experience, isn't it? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Knowing that God has given you these things. And I got to ride around in my little Hyundai. <laughs> and I'll scream to the, on the mountaintops, this is a gift from God. Enjoy it. And you know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to drink me a cup of coffee and I'm going to lay my head down. And I'm going to say, I preached my heart out on Sunday morning. And I preached my heart out on Sunday evening. And I think it was probably a good work that I, I taught some people the Bible. And I'm going to lay, and I do this, I lay my head down like this. And I'll sleep like a little bitty baby. Amen. And I ain't rich, but boy, am I rich. You see that? He's taught us how to enjoy the riches of life. And anything more than that, if you've got a, a, a job that you know, I'm, 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 I have a purpose and a place and I'm productive. If you have experiences of life with your family, your kids, your wife, uh, whatever it is, you're rich. If you know that God has blessed you and he's the giver of these things, you're rich. If you can lay your head on your pillow at night and sleep, you're rich. And anything on top of that is just a sprinkles on top of an ice cream. It really is. And you can enjoy that sprinkle on that ice cream too. I'll close with this and we'll be done. Old Rockefeller, I've used him a lot. He said this towards the end of his life. I've made many millions, but they've brought me no happiness. Fourth $14 billion and brought him no happiness. You know why? He didn't need a little bit more money. He needed a lot more God. I think that's the key to enjoying the riches of life. From, Genesis, from, from verse 8 to verse 17, God wasn't mentioned. Trying to enjoy the riches of life without God ends in emptiness. And then verses 18 through 20, you got God all over the place. And Solomon's found that I don't need more riches. I just need more God. And having God makes every part of life more enjoyable. The work, the experiences, the gifts, and even the peace that he gives me at the end of the day. So ultimately, we don't need to win the lottery. You guys can go, get your six numbers, try to win the lottery. Really all you need is a little more God. And that's how you can enjoy the riches of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I mean, I, I've never preached a sermon like this before, ever. I never have. I've never heard a sermon like this before. This is brand new to me. But I wish I'd heard this sermon when I was 15 years old. I wish I'd heard it at 20. It would have saved me a lot of trouble if I'd have known these things. It would have saved me a lot of heartache. But God, I'm glad I learned it now. And I'm thankful that your word teaches us all things about life. And I pray that you'd help us all to enjoy our lives a little bit more this week. With whatever we have, how much ever, how much, it doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank, God, just help us to enjoy our lives a little bit more and to enjoy you. I think that's the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy God. So help us to do that this week. And I, I pray, God, I, I wanted to be a productive worker today and this week studying to help the people in the pews learn how to enjoy life in a biblical, God-honoring way. So God, may your word accomplish that end tonight. And may we walk out of here enjoying the life you've given us. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.